Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? So good to see all of you. My name is Ryan. For those that are new or visiting, I'm one of the pastors here at Arbor. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We are back in our series in the Gospel of Mark that we're calling The Life and Way of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. Turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12 today. Um, really grateful for Brian's message last week and the important invitation that we saw in that passage for us to get away and get alone with God, to recharge, to realign, to, re- to find restoration in Jesus Christ. I think this is something that Brian will find um, when he's on the dunk tank uh, at the Arbor Kids Day. Uh, I don't know why I always get pinned as the guy who's going to be in that thing, but it happens. Um, But really appreciated that invitation. Uh, And if we are as disciples of Jesus called to in part become like Jesus, and this is something that Jesus prioritized and he placed as like a first thing in his life to get alone and get away with God, then this is something that we should prioritize as well, I think. Um, Now listen, following Jesus, choosing to be his disciple, something we've been talking about throughout this series in the Gospel of Mark, um, it is a choice that we make individually. This is a choice that you make personally to follow after Jesus, but it's not a decision that you make and fulfill on your own in isolation. I I would say it's nearly impossible to to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ on your own outside of community. And in today's passage, what we're going to see is not just the value and significance of community. In today's passage, we're going to see the importance and value of being the kind of community that helps people find hope and healing in Jesus, in our individual journeys with Jesus in our discipleship, our ultimate goal is not some sort of spiritual personal fulfillment, but it's being part of a broader community that brings the resurrection life of Jesus Christ as it is in heaven here on earth so that other people would be able to experience that hope and healing. That's our ultimate goal as a church, and we see that in our passage today. We see a glimpse of this, and so as we've been doing, as we've been going through Mark, if you could, would you please stand with me as I read this passage today, Mark 2, 1 through 12. Now, after some days, when he returned to Capernaum, the news spread that he was at home. This is Jesus. So many gathered that, were, uh, that, there were, that there was no longer any room, not even by the door, and he preached the word to them. Now some people came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And when they were not able to bring him in because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus. Then after tearing it out, they lowered the stretcher the paralytic man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the experts in the law, they were were sitting there turning these things over in their minds. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And now immediately when Jesus realized in his spirit that they were contemplating such thoughts, he said to them, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your stretcher and walk? 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, stand up, take your stretcher, and go home. And immediately the man stood up, and he took his stretcher, and he went out in front of them all, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. This is God's word. Father in heaven, we invite your spirit's presence into this place right now. Lord, we come bringing our own baggage, bringing our own faults and our failures. For some of us, we've had a really bad week. Maybe it's been a bad month, but we come to you and we know that like this paralytic man, you see us in all our brokenness and you love us and you accept us just as we are. And so we pray that your word would be a word for us this morning. Would you speak a healing word over us today? God, would you meet us here in this place? Jesus, would we know you better so that we could follow you more closely? Would you speak through me today and use my imperfect words to communicate what you would want us to hear today? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can take a seat. Um, I'll start here. It seems uh, like now more than ever before, our world, the world that we live in right now, is in desperate need of healthy communities. Would you agree with me on that? that our world is in desperate need of that right now. Healthy communities that would be centers of healing. Healthy communities where people would be able to show up in whatever condition they find themselves and experience hospitality and experience human connection and experience healing. I think our world needs this. There was this article in the Seattle Times a couple of months ago on May 2nd. The title was this, Loneliness Poses Risks as Deadly as Smoking. And it opens up by saying this, widespread loneliness in the US, that's the country we live in, um, poses health risks as, just, just so you know, like this is our world. This is the world we live in right now. Poses health risks as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes daily, costing the health industry billions of dollars annually. Our world is lonely right now. A couple years ago, in the San Francisco Examiner, writing about the negative effects of isolation and loneliness in our society, wrote this two years ago. We underestimate the healing value that intimate platonic friendships play in our lives. And COVID has underscored their importance. This was written in 2021. With the easing of restrictions during this phase of the pandemic, don't you just get like, just the creepy crawlies thinking about that time, you know, just like, oh gosh. But anyway, they write, they write this. Listen, this is great. Let's embrace our need for others. And listen to this. This is in the San Francisco Examiner. Our commitment to fellowship and communion. That may be the most protective measure we can take for our mental health. And not just our mental health, but our spiritual health, our emotional health, our health as human beings designed in the image of God. We need this. We need healthy, healing communities. And so I double down on that idea now more than ever before. We are in need of healthy communities. But I wonder, as I say that, what goes on in your mind and heart as I say that? For some of you, you're like exhausted 
and you're like, the last thing I need on my list right now is to like be involved in building and being part of like another healthy community. The last thing I need is another obligation throughout the week. The last thing I need are more relationships to check in on and have them check in on me. Others of you, you hear this and your adrenaline starts pumping because you're like, yes, another mountain to conquer. Let's do something. Let's, let's go build something. And others of you, you, you find yourselves like, man, I want to be in that spot, but you're skeptical right now. And you're cynical because, because maybe your experience of church life in a community like this has not been ideal. And if that's you, understand there are plenty of us in the room who have found ourselves sitting in that very same chair. Or maybe you've just been so burnt out and you've been running so hard after these last few years that you find yourself in a spot where you're like, I just can't even muster up the energy to care about that right now. There's no way I can like buy into like the hustle and grind about like building a healthy community. And listen, here's what I wanna say. Here's what I think this passage is saying today. I don't believe that more hustle and more stress and more striving is what Jesus would want us to walk away with today. I think Jesus would want us to create a healing community here at Arbor with a different kind of spirit. With a different kind of spirit. Mark 2, the passage we just read. And maybe you're super familiar with this passage. You grew up in church and you grew up hearing this, church, this, this story in Sunday school about the man being lowered in through the roof. And you hear that story again. But do you realize this is a miraculous healing that took place in this larger room, in this like community group, so to speak, in this house? And I wonder, like in this story that really happened, I wonder what the paralytic man would want us to walk away with from this encounter. I wonder what the friends who were lowering that paralytic man through the roof would want us to walk away with from this encounter. I wonder what those who were observing in that room, listening to this Jesus teach, I wonder what they would want us to walk away with. And in a passage like this, as we study God's word, we can get at like, what, what would they want us to walk away with by like exegeting and expositing the text? And we do a lot of that here at Arbor, especially over the last few weeks through Mark. But today, I, I, I wonder if we could understand what they would want us to walk away with by using our imaginations. And some of you are like, what? <laughs> but I wonder if we could dive into this story and I wonder if we could just imagine, if we could imagine for a moment what it would have been like to have been a part of this incredible healing, this incredible moment right here. Imagine what it would have been like to be in this little home in Capernaum off the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. And like I mentioned a few weeks ago, the Sea of Galilee was more lake than sea. And imagine being in this room, this crowded room with like 40 or 50 other people and imagine the things that you would smell, the dirt, the sweat, the smell of 40 or 50 other people in a tight, crowded hot room together there. Imagine that. You see people in the doorway. You see people in the windows. You see people crowded outside, wanting to get inside, all wanting to hear from this mysterious Rabbi Jesus who is growing more and more and more in popularity. And you're sitting there in this room with all of these people as this Rabbi Jesus is teaching about the laws of Moses and about the prophets and about the kingdom of God and you find yourself transfixed 
by his teaching. But as he's teaching, you also find your mind is distracted and pulled to, to, to your concerns and needs of your everyday life, which as a, as a person growing up in first century Israel, your life is hard. It's surrounded with poverty. It's surrounded with sickness that you can't do anything about. You've grown up and you feel the restrictive, choking power of the religion that you've lived with your whole life, and now you've got this empire Rome coming in, seemingly trying to control every facet of your existence. But as you listen to Jesus, something just hits you different. His words are like this fresh spring of water to your weary and dry soul as you're sitting there and listening to him. And the more that you listen to this Jesus in this crowded room, the more you sense like anything could happen at any moment. There's just this anticipation building. And as you're listening to Jesus teaching, as you're listening to him teaching, you hear this noise on the roof. These feet kind of clamoring and all of a sudden, more voices, and all of a sudden, this dimly lit room, this, this beam of light starts shooting in the middle of it. And you're looking at some people a few feet away, and some dirt and some sticks hit their head, and maybe Jesus himself stops his teaching, and he looks up, and you look up, and all of a sudden, you see faces peering in the top of the roof. And maybe one of them speaks up, and he's like, Rabbi, please, we heard about what you did for that leper on the side of the road. And we have a friend with us that has a great need and we know that only you can meet that need, Jesus. Would you do something? And you remember and you think to yourself, you heard some of these same stories about Jesus, this rabbi Jesus miraculously healing this leper. He reached out and touched him and rather than being infected himself, he healed this man and purified him and cleansed him. And so you think to yourself and you wonder, what could this Jesus do for me in my situation? And if you're honest about your situation right now, not your imaginary first century Israel self, but like your real 21st century Seattle area self, what is it that you would most want Jesus to do for your situation right now? As you think over the, the hurt, the worry, the anxiety, the pain, the loneliness in your own life, what is it you would most want Jesus to do for your situation right now? Would you name that? Now for a moment, imagine now that you're this paralyzed man, okay? Imagine what it would have been like to have been paralyzed since childhood. And for some of you, maybe you don't have to imagine that. For some, this has been your life. And listen, as this paralyzed man, you have this group of friends, and one of them comes up to you early one morning and says to you, listen, there's this guy and he's in town, and we've heard all about him, and we've seen your struggle, and we've seen the adversity you've faced, and you know how much we love you. Can we bring you to this Jesus? Man, to have friends like that, that care like that, and that love you like that, that is so rare. And you hate to be a burden on anyone, so in that moment, your instinct is to say, no, I'm all good. Like, let's not, don't worry about it. Like, this is fine. I love you guys. I got you. I'm good. You don't wanna be carried by people into some place, but your friends are so persistent that you cave in and you just say, fine, let's go. And they carry you to the house, but when you arrive there, like we've already established, it's packed. 
But one of your friends is just like so gangster. He doesn't even care. He's like, we're going to the top of the roof. I got a plan. And you're just like, all right, let's go. Let's see where this leads. And so your friends carry you up to the top of the roof and they start ripping open the ceiling and you're like, this is such a bad idea. What are we doing right now? And they make this hole big enough to let you down through. And so slowly they begin to lower you down in the middle of that room and you can feel every single eye on you. And as you're lowered to the ground, it feels like an eternity. Some people grab the rope, they lower you the rest of the way to the floor and there you are in the middle of this crowded room. But now you are face to face with Jesus face to face with Jesus. And he looks a little surprised to see you. But his eyes are fixed on you. And as as his eyes are looking at you, what do you see? I'd imagine you'd see love. I'd imagine you'd see compassion. You'd see power. That you'd see care in that moment. And he smiles at you. He smiles at you in that smile in that moment as you're sitting there. It makes you feel like he's welcoming you home. You haven't felt this kind of peace in years. And just then he looks away from you and suddenly you, you remember again, you're in this room full of people looking at you and Jesus looks away and, and you can feel this tension rising up in the room. And you start to get a little uncomfortable and you're like, what is Jesus looking at? And you look over and Jesus is looking through a window at these religious leaders, they're peering inside, they're observing the spectacle, they're waiting for Jesus to make a wrong move, but in that moment, Jesus turns his attention away from them again, back at you, crouches down, and there's that smile again. He smiles at you, and you begin to feel in that moment that as this Jesus cares for you and smiles at you, that the very ailment, that the very weakness that has made you feel less than, that has been a burden to you, that has made you feel like you are not good enough in the world that you live in is the very thing that is drawing the attention of this Jesus to you, is the very thing that is drawing his love and his affection and his care, and his care toward you, that he sees your weakness and he's drawn to that. And then Jesus says something to you that shocks everyone in the room. And it shocks you to this day as you think back on this moment. He says in verse five, son, your sins are forgiven. And even though in that moment you came for a healing, you you hear those words and for some reason you you can't help but start weeping. And you don't know why, you just, you just start crying because you sense this healing happening in you, but it's in your soul. It feels like you're being reunited to a long lost friend. You feel like a child that was lost, but now you're finally home and that's when the unthinkable happens. All of a sudden you hear these whispers outside by the window. And at first you don't know who they're coming from, but it's these religious leaders looking through the window with intense anger. And the text says that in their minds they were thinking, why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately it says Jesus knew that this is what they were thinking in his spirit. And he calls them out and he says, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up and take your stretcher and walk? 
but so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, stand up, take your stretcher, and go home. And for the first time you can ever remember in your entire life, you stand up on both of your legs, you take that mat, you pick it up, and you walk out through that crowded room, and people start losing their minds. (laughs) They're going, Crather, we've never seen anything like this before in our lives. So, what's the message that you think you would have walked away with if you were this man or friends with this man or you were watching from afar? I think if you were the paralytic man, the thing you would take away with is, I'm walking now, this is incredible, this is amazing, right? But beyond that, I think there's one thing that Jesus says, he wants the people to know that day. Very clearly in verse 10, he says this, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what he wants us to know. And that can mean a lot. That can mean a lot. And as I was sitting with that phrase and sitting with this passage for the last couple of weeks, thinking about it, this one phrase just kept resonating in my heart and my mind, and it was this. Rest in the healing authority of Jesus. Rest in Jesus' healing authority. And I think this is why this phrase was resonating in my heart and in my mind a lot over these past couple of weeks. Because if we're going to be the kind of community that is a healing, healthy community for other people, for for, for ourselves that we so desperately need, then we need to be the kind of people who are willing to, as we sang this morning, surrender our control and our desire for more and rest in the authority and the healing authority of Jesus Christ. The statement here contains some words I think that might be foreign to us or cause our defense mechanisms to go up. Rest, none of us like to rest really, right? We wanna go, we wanna do more. In Jesus' healing authority, healing, what does that mean by healing? And then authority. There's a lot of different things we could explore there, but I think on the forefront of that statement is this idea of resting in someone's authority, resting in Jesus' authority. Usually when there's an authority in the room, resting is the last thing we wanna do, right? When a boss walks in a room, when a parent walks in a room, when any sort of authority figure walks in the room, our typical response to authority is usually one of two things. We, 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 we stiffen up and we get scared and we cloister, right? Or some of us wanna fight. Some of us wanna rebel, right? And we wanna, we wanna fight the man, right? That's like, that's like in our, some of our DNA. But, but, but what if there was an authority that was so good that you could rest in it? I've got a really bad illustration coming up, but I'm just gonna go with it, okay? You ready for this one, okay? It's not great, I'm just giving you a heads up, but we're going for it. Um, About 10 years ago, I was a pastor in North Carolina, and I took a small group of people on a missions trip to Africa, and obviously we had to fly there. It wasn't like the 1920s, we weren't taking like the Titanic over to Africa. We flew there, okay? And as many of us know, like flying isn't like the most pleasurable experience. Flying can be pretty tough, it can be pretty difficult, it comes with a lot of baggage, pun intended. So we flew from New York to Frankfurt, Germany. And that first leg of the journey, we were flying United Airlines, and it was just an absolute disaster. 
the whole time. The flight got delayed, then it got canceled. We got put up in a hotel. We got bussed out to this hotel 40 minutes away from the airport. We had to wake up the next morning, catching an early flight over to Europe. We finally get on this flight. You see the flight attendants. They look like war-torn individuals who are just like hopeless, and they're like, I think we're gonna make it there. And they're giving you like half-filled bottles of water, and like the seats usually don't. I mean, it's just a terrible experience, right? And you're like, I can't rest here. And when the flight attendants start talking, you like put in the headphones because you're like, whatever I can do to get through this experience uh, with with the least amount of pain as possible, right? So we finally land in Frankfurt, Germany. We get through that portion of the trip, but then we end up flying on this other airline, which maybe some of you have heard. It's called Lufthansa. Have you heard of this airline before? This magical airline that exists in Europe? Right, so we, we have this one experience, and we have to fly from Germany all the way down to South Africa, and we get on this flight, and it's like the whole atmosphere changed. Like the air was like, I think like literally sparkling, <laughs> and like all the flight attendants just, they were like, seemed like the most happy, perfect people you'd ever seen. Like they were just like so excited for you to be on this plane. And they're giving you like these little bags with slippers and eye coverings and treats, and they're walking down the aisle, and they're like, can I get you anything to drink? Can I get you anything to eat? And they keep doing that, and you're like, I've got four drinks already, I don't need any more. Like, I'm all good here. And then when they're talking and giving you instructions, you're like telling the people next to you to be quiet, because you're like, well, let's not blow this. This is going really good right now. It's, listen, I say all that to say it's, it's kind of this, they're in control, they're in charge, they have this authority, and you can rest in it. You can rest, see, I didn't say it was an amazing illustration, but I, you know, it's good enough, right? You get the idea a little bit? All that to say, what if the authority of Jesus, his healing authority is so good that you can just rest in it? Listen, it is, it is. And the more we learn to rest in it, the more we'll begin to create and embody the kind of healing community that we long for, that we need, that our community around us needs. And a few things that we'll see as we rest into this healing authority, a few things we'll see about our community that we grow in. One thing that we'll grow in, we'll become a community of vulnerability. We'll become a community of vulnerability. As we rest in Jesus' authority, we'll create a community of vulnerability around us. Just a few thoughts on vulnerability here. Um, First of all, the greatest enemy to vulnerability is this desire for self-preservation. The desire for self-preservation. And what that is, that's our struggle, that's our belief that that, that we have uh, a struggle that no one's going to understand. And so we keep those things to ourselves. We don't share those things with other people. We don't share our hurt and our pain and our addictions and our fears. We don't share our hopes. We don't share our dreams. We're afraid of being exposed. We're afraid of being humiliated. We're afraid of being rejected. Ultimately, we end up rejecting vulnerability for these three core reasons. Usually there's something I need to protect, there's something I need to prove, or there's something I need to hide. There's something I need to protect something I need to prove, something I need to hide. These are the powers that lurk underneath our drive for self-preservation. But listen, vulnerability annihilates these things, but vulnerability is not without its own, own scary things. Vulnerability costs us something. Brene Brown says that vulnerability is the emotion we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. I think as we look at this story in Mark 2, 1 through 12, this paralytic man is totally and completely exposed in the story. 
the thing that he thinks makes him less than, the thing that he thinks makes him unattractive is out there for all to see, his safety, his secrets, they are there on full display. But listen, I think paradoxically, a truer and better safety is created. As his ailments are on display, his friends are there to pick him up and carry him and and let him down through that roof and care for him. He encounters Jesus who cares for him in the midst of his weakness and his vulnerability. Man, that is powerful right there. That's powerful. We need that. We need that. And you might not have that in your life right now, but would we pray that God would cultivate that kind of community right here? Would we pray that God would give us those kinds of friends? Would we pursue Jesus in a way so we could be those kinds of friends to other people? That we would be the kind of community where we rest in the authority of Jesus enough so that like the paralytic man who was lowered into that crowded room, we are vulnerable with one another. In this story in Mark, this man embraces his need for others and his friends, they embrace him. Listen, sometimes in our journey with Jesus in community, you are gonna be the one who carries people. Sometimes you're gonna be the one who's carried. It goes both ways. And as we rest in the healing authority of Jesus, we'll learn to create a community of vulnerability. But not just that, we'll also become a community with a resilient identity. I don't know about you, but if you take steps toward vulnerability, toward getting to know people, one of the first things that flares up in your mind is like attacks on your identity. I know you shouldn't be doing that. They're gonna find out about you. They're gonna know who you really are. And they're not gonna like you. They're gonna think you're weird. Or if you're stepping into a new role or a new job and you start doing that, and that takes vulnerability, it takes courage. You're not good enough for that. You're not worthy of that if you enter into a new relationship. You're not worthy of that love. We have these attacks. Now listen, I'm sure that's what this paralyzed man was experiencing as he was being lowered into that room foot by foot, inch by inch. But listen, with just a few words, Jesus reinforces this man's identity. And he does this, we see this in verse six, by calling him son. He says son. He doesn't say sir. He doesn't say dude. Don't say man, he says son. Listen, when we are going through difficult times and when we need to experience the work of God in our lives, when we're going through a painful situation, when we're going through hardship, listen, it's in those moments oftentimes that we can feel like God is pulling away from us, that he is far from us, that he doesn't care about us, but in that moment of vulnerability and exposure for this man, Jesus steps in and he gently reminds him that no matter what you're experiencing right now, no matter what you're going through, as his disciple, you are called son. You are called daughter. And at this time, in this culture, in the first century, using this phrase to describe someone was incredibly intimate. It was incredibly personal. And Jesus uses it to intentionally, maybe for the first time in this man's life, for this man to understand who he really is in the eyes of his Savior. That he is not defined by his past, that he is not defined by his paralyzed legs, but he is defined as a son of the most high God, that he is precious, that he is prized, that he is loved, that he is cared for. That is who he is before he is even healed. 
That is who he is in the eyes of his savior. He is beloved. David Benner, he's an author, psychologist, a spiritual director. He writes this, this is, a, this is really important I think. He says, neither knowing God nor knowing self can progress very far unless it begins with the knowledge of how deeply we are loved by God. Until we dare to believe that nothing can separate us from God's love, nothing that we could do or fail to do, nor anything that could be done or has been done by anyone else to us, we remain in the elementary grades of the school of Christian spiritual transformation. Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It is not the fact of being loved unconditionally that is life-changing. Listen, it is the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. That's where the power happens. And you think, how do I let God love me then? I read about his love in his word. People tell me how much God loves me. How do I really experience his love tangibly? By letting his people love you. That's how you experience it. You experience it by allowing others to step in and yes, I know it is risky and it is scary. But as we allow others to love us unconditionally, as we grow in our vulnerability, secure in our identity as beloved by God, and enter into relationships with other people and we are loved by them, we will more fully know how loved by God we are. That's how we experience that. One last thing. The more we learn to rest in the healing authority of Jesus, the more we'll learn to create a community of prayerful expectancy. You know, with, with this paralytic man's friends, they were so eager to get him to Jesus. They had heard Jesus was coming back to Capernaum. They're fully expectant that something amazing is gonna happen. They get to the house. The guys are like, listen, it's crowded. We're gonna figure this out. We're gonna take you up to the roof. We're gonna lower you down through the roof. And we don't know what Jesus is going to do. We don't know how it's going to work, but we're gonna do it and we're gonna fully expect that something amazing is going to happen in your lives. And they go to the house. They destroy the roof. Jesus watches. And Jesus isn't even angry that they destroyed the roof. He's like kind of proud about it. He like says he saw their faith and he was like, let's go, let's do this. Like, because they were expectant. They were expectant that God was going to do something great. And this is the kind of community the healing authority of Jesus creates. It's a community of expectancy. It's a community that every time it gets together, it believes and expects that God is going to move in power in some way in our lives and in our community. I can't help but think of Hebrews 4, where the writer writes this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 now. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. So listen, we, we don't always know what Jesus is going to do, but what we know is that because we are so deeply loved by him, we no longer have to hide our needs from him. We no longer have to hide our needs and our concerns from one another, from others in our community. And we can together 
arm in arm as a community boldly approach the throne of grace when we find ourselves in times of need. The friends of this paralytic man, they boldly approach Jesus. Like, like they tore off the roof to get to Jesus. And so when's the last time that you boldly, recklessly approached Jesus on a friend's behalf, on your behalf, expecting him to do something in your life? When's the last time you took that step? Listen, this is just a, I think a really powerful, simple, short story here today. And if we walk away from anything, walk away from this with anything today, would it be this one idea that we are called to rest in the healing authority of Jesus? That the healing authority of Jesus is good enough for us to rest in. And as we do that, as we do that as a community, we will grow in vulnerability. We will grow in our understanding of our identity as sons and daughters of this Jesus Christ. And we will grow our expectancy for what God can do in and through our lives will also grow as we continue to rest. Would you stand with me now as I pray? Jesus, we are so grateful We're grateful that you are a kind, compassionate, caring savior. We thank you that you call us friend. Right now, Lord, I know that there are people here who are struggling. They're struggling to believe that you care, that you love them. And so Jesus, I pray that you would move in a powerful way, God, and that you would speak to their hearts and that you would touch them and help them to know that they are beloved that as you see them in their hurt and their pain and their brokenness, you look upon them right now and you say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Lord, as a community, as we continue to press forward, as we continue to be obedient to our call to follow you, Lord, I pray that you would cultivate just a, a community, God, of anticipation and expectancy, Jesus a community that's truly able to rest in your goodness and in your authority. We pray all this in your powerful name, amen.